Hello everybody and welcome to a podcast of Biblical Proportions. Revisiting Genesis episode 5, Sodom and Gomorrah part 1. A long, long time ago, Yahweh looked upon an evil city and decided he must destroy it. Because everyone living in it was depraved and corrupt. And Yahweh informed of his plan just one man. Just one. A righteous man. And this righteous man would attempt to sway Yahweh from destroying the city by asking Yahweh, is it just to kill the righteous with the wicked? But to no avail. The God Yahweh would not be swayed. All of the city's inhabitants, from young to old, were all evil all the time and deserved to die. But the righteous man tried to stop it. Wow, he really, really tried. He really tried. This is our story for today. The Sodom and Gomorrah story. Specifically the first part of the Sodom and Gomorrah story which is about a man who really, really tried to stop the destruction of an evil city. That's the story. And the Sodom and Gomorrah story is very similar to the story we focused on in the previous episode, when Yahweh decided he must destroy the entire world because everyone living in it was depraved and corrupt and had to be killed in a flood. For Sodom and Gomorrah, Destruction comes from the air. And in both of these destruction stories, Yahweh confides only with one man, one righteous man. So the stories of Sodom and the flood have a lot in common. And that's because they were written by the same person and they're about the same thing. The destruction of Jerusalem in 587 BCE. And they're written from the same perspective. In the flood story, he's called Noah. In the Sodom and Gomorrah story, he's called Abraham. Two characters based on the prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah would like people to think that he tried to prevent the destruction of Jerusalem. But did Jeremiah try to save Jerusalem? Or was he working against it? As some have accused him of. The historical accounts and the story clash. The historical accounts make him look guilty, and the story makes him out to be a hero. Which one should we believe? Let's dive in. I want to thank Jennifer, Jordan, and Mikey Like Podcasts for joining our tribe on patreon.com slash biblicalproportions. Welcome Jennifer, Jordan, and Mikey Likes Podcasts. Hi everybody, thank you for listening. This is Gil. This is our fifth Revisiting Genesis episode. And our story for today is the first part of the Sodom and Gomorrah story. This is the build-up, and we'll get into the actual drama in the next one. And let's call this story the Sodom story because Sodom and Gomorrah is too long and also Gomorrah is only named and does not actually appear in the story. It's cumbersome and redundant and wrong, so 
we're in the first part of the Sodom story. And you can find it in Genesis chapter 18, verse 15, all the way to the end. The Genesis stories we are revisiting have different characters and plots, but they're always about the same thing. What happened before, during, and after the destruction of Jerusalem in 587 BCE. And the Sodom story is the second installment in our Destruction of Jerusalem miniseries, where we dive into Genesis stories about the destruction. The first installment was the Flood story, and we jumped ahead a few chapters to stay on topic to the Sodom story. The destruction can be in a flood, it can be in an aerial attack by Yahweh, but it's about Jerusalem. And I've learned that I'm definitely not the first one who noticed that the Flood and the Sodom stories are identical in many ways. It turns out that's been known in academia for quite some time. But that's about it. No one knows why they are so much alike and what that means. But we know why. They're so similar because they are two stories about the same event. And from the same perspective. That of the prophet Jeremiah who lived through it in a very controversial way. In the previous episode, we went over some of the harsh, let's call them, prophecies by Jeremiah to the Jerusalemites about the fate that is awaiting them. Horrible, horrible prophecies that made everybody hate Jeremiah and made him lonely and more anxious and more desperate. And after Jerusalem was destroyed, that must have been very uncomfortable for him, because it seemed that he relished this destruction. And this is exactly where our story for today comes in, to say, no, he never wanted the city to be destroyed. In fact, he tried to stop it, he really tried. He talked to Yahweh, but Yahweh wouldn't listen. So our story for today is a conversation between Yahweh and the man he chose to forewarn of the destruction. Avraham, Abraham. In the previous story, Jeremiah was cast as Noah. In this story, he's cast as Abraham. Abraham and Yahweh have a long dialogue, and Abraham is trying to change Yahweh's mind by appealing to his morals, his common sense, and he also tells Yahweh, destroying a city with all its inhabitants, that's a bad look for you, Yahweh. When we read this dialogue along with the chronology of events as they appear in the book of Genesis, this is purr, purr, purr. there's just nothing here. It's vague, broad, and general. A city full of evil people is destroyed. Okay. Why should we care about the fate of this city that was presented as evil? Sure, destroy it. Why is Abraham insisting so much? It's a very forgettable story. Out of context. But once we read the story later in the episode, in context, after having immersed ourselves in the world that birthed this story, we will understand precisely why this conversation is written the way it is. It's still a very weird conversation and repetitive, because Jeremiah is trying too hard to paint himself as a righteous man, and he gives away the game. He gives away his sense of guilt over the destruction of Jerusalem. This story is all about Jeremiah. 
The person who wrote it was his scribe, Baruch. He put down Jeremiah's prophecies into text, and he was also a historian, and we have learned he was the biblical author of Genesis. And he's playing defense here for Jeremiah, cast as the righteous Abraham, pleading with Yahweh to spare the city. This is what he would like the world to know. I tried. I tried. I really tried. For me, it's clear that Sodom and Gomorrah were real ancient cities, and they were ancient for Jeremiah. And as the story went, they were destroyed for their sins. So they were a good metaphor for Jerusalem, in the eyes of Jeremiah. For Jeremiah, Jerusalem is Sodom. And Jeremiah calls Jerusalem Sodom and the Jerusalemites Gomorrah as a warning to the fate that is awaiting them. He's warning them that Jerusalem would end up like Sodom and Gomorrah. In Jeremiah chapter 23, he speaks of the Jerusalemites in the third person here. They are all like Sodom to me. The people of Jerusalem are like Gomorrah, says Yahweh. Jeremiah is telling the Jerusalemites, before Jerusalem's destruction, your fate will be like that of Sodom and Gomorrah. He didn't expand here on what were Sodom and Gomorrah, that they were destroyed, in what circumstances they were destroyed. No, he just said Sodom and Gomorrah, and everybody understood, because everybody knew that they were destroyed because they were evil. And he says, now Jerusalem will be like Sodom and Gomorrah. Then Jerusalem was destroyed, actually destroyed, and then Baruch wrote a story about it. So we have both historical accounts and stories written by Baruch about Jeremiah and his role in the destruction of Jerusalem. So Baruch's story about Jeremiah's role in the destruction of Jerusalem says that his role was he tried to save it. That's what the story says. But what do the other texts written by Baruch say about that? What do the historical accounts say? Do they say that he tried to stop it? And what did many Hebrews say on the matter? They saw him as a traitor, a defector, a collaborator, a foreign agent. Our story for today is basically Jeremiah saying, Who? Me? Me? I had nothing to do with this. Believe me, Yahweh would not be swayed from destroying this evil city. I am but a humble servant of Yahweh. So we believe him. We believe him. After all, it's in the Bible. But it's not the only thing about it in the Bible. So just to be sure, let's go over the historical accounts that document what Jeremiah was saying and doing before the destruction of Jerusalem. And unfortunately for him, the historical accounts in his book make him seem very, very guilty. To set things up, let's begin in the year 605 BCE. Jerusalem still stands 
and will keep standing for 18 more years. But the countdown to its destruction began in 605 BCE. What happened in 605 BCE? Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. That's what happened. Babylonia and Egypt had been battling for two decades for regional supremacy. And in 605 BCE, Babylonia emerged victorious. As the Babylonian king died and was replaced by his son, Nebuchadnezzar. So in 605 BCE, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, launched his campaign to take over the world. The Judean king at the time, Jehoiakim, was allied with Egypt, and despite Egypt's defeat, he believed that Egypt would come to his aid when the Babylonians came. So he kept his alliance with Egypt and refused to pay tribute to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And it was at this precise time that Jeremiah first rose to prominence, or gained infamy, depending on your perspective. 605 BCE was the first time Jeremiah prophesied that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, would come over and destroy Jerusalem if King Jehoiakim would not accept the yoke of the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. So Jeremiah's prophecies that Jerusalem would be destroyed begin in 605 BCE. That's the first time he ventures into geopolitics. Jeremiah could not have prophesied that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, will take Jerusalem before Nebuchadnezzar became king of Babylon in 605 BCE. So this was a crucial year in the history of the region. The tectonic plates of the geopolitics of Mesopotamia had shifted and Jehoiakim had to make a choice, Babylonia or Egypt. He chose Egypt, and suddenly Jeremiah bursts onto the scene with a prophecy that says that the Hebrews would die unless the Judean king bows down to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. This prophecy would make both Jeremiah and Baruch enemies of the state. They had to go into hiding. Other prophets who said the same things were assassinated by King Jehoiakim as part of a covert war against Judeans who dared say that Yahweh wanted the king to submit to Nebuchadnezzar. Because the king had his own prophets telling him that Yahweh wanted the exact opposite. Yahweh wanted him to break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar. We know how this story ends. A few years later, and a few Judean kings later, at the time of King Zedekiah, Tzidkiyahu, Jerusalem was destroyed. Jeremiah was right all along. The disaster Yahweh forewarned Jeremiah happened. He was right. This is certain. But what's not certain is how exactly was Jeremiah freed after the sacking of Jerusalem. In the book of Jeremiah, there are two contradicting versions of how Jeremiah was set free after the sacking of Jerusalem. What both accounts agree on is that it was the Babylonians who set Jeremiah free. The Babylonians. And everything here makes Jeremiah look very, very bad. If I were his lawyer, I'd be worried. 
So in Jeremiah chapter 38, we're told that Jeremiah went to the Jerusalem prison right before the sacking for no particular reason, just happened to go there. And in chapter 39, we're told that three top Babylonian officials receive word from Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon himself, to go and fetch Jeremiah and free him and do, I quote, whatever he asks. That's the first version, which is extremely suspicious. So maybe that's why there's a second version in chapter 41 that says that Jeremiah wasn't released by three Babylonian officials. No, he was caught up with the rest of the Judean prisoners who survived the sacking. He was arrested with them and that then the Babylonians released him from his shackles. So they never ever went to fetch him from the prison. No, 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 no. They just released him and paid him. They paid him. That's what it says in Jeremiah 41. And that too looks very, very bad. <laughs> and that's Jeremiah's own scribe writing these two extremely self-incriminatory and contradicting versions. Because which is it, Mr. Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah? Did Nebuchadnezzar send three top Babylonian officials to pick you up from the prison? Or did they release you after you were arrested with all the rest? It can't be both. And why would the Babylonians know who you were, care who you were? Why would they search you out, free you, and pay you? Why? Usually, when someone pays you, it's for services rendered, work done. So the logical explanation would be that Jeremiah did something for the Babylonians and they paid him in return. According to Jeremiah, all the money that he ever got, he got from Yahweh. Okay, but this is a very bad look. The city is destroyed, everyone's arrested, the Babylonians free specifically Jeremiah and pay him. That's a very, very bad look. Jeremiah says that the people of Jerusalem hated him. I wonder why. And I wonder why some people were very suspicious of Jeremiah and his motives and his allegiances. Why would some Hebrews question Jeremiah's allegiances? Hmm. Okay, so let's read from Jeremiah chapter 15. Yahweh is speaking from the mouth of Jeremiah to the people of Jerusalem. And let's put ourselves in the shoes of the Jerusalemites and imagine that he's talking to us about us and our city. And let's see what kind of emotions his words arouse in us. Let me read and buckle up. Who will have pity on you, O Jerusalem? Who will grieve for you? Who will turn aside to ask about your well-being? You rejected me, declares Yahweh. You keep going backward. So I have stretched out my hand against you and will destroy you. I changed my mind about you. And then some more about the Jerusalemites in the third person. I will increase the number of their widows. They will be more numerous than the sand of the seas. I will bring against young mothers a destroyer at noonday. I will push anguish and terror, and the rest of them I will give to the sword before their enemies. 
declares Yahweh. So I guess that people didn't like that. And Jeremiah was very unpopular because he always said the same thing in different ways. You are all evil, you're all going to die, it's your fault. But that's only one set of messages Yahweh passed on and spread through Jeremiah. These are messages for the people. But Yahweh was also a geopolitical player, and he had geopolitical goals and a geopolitical agenda. And he had a different set of messages for geopolitics. And he wanted Jeremiah to pass on these messages to the Judean king, Zedekiah. Messages from Yahweh. Or so says Jeremiah. But on the face of it, they seem to be messages coming from another higher power. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So Yahweh has two different sets of messaging for the Hebrews. When he talks to the regular people, he's very angry and very vague. There's evil and sin and the wickedness and schemes and lies. Okay. But when Yahweh addresses the king of Judea, Zedekiah, Yahweh is never ever vague and he's always very specific and very to the point. And he's not even mad. He's just playing the game. This is business, Yahweh. Jeremiah and Zedekiah meet several times because Jeremiah always receives specific messages from Yahweh that he is to deliver personally to Zedekiah, king of Judah. And in these geopolitical messages directly hand-delivered to the king, Yahweh doesn't care about how the Hebrews worship him, who is just who is righteous and who is lying. No, 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 this is business, Yahweh. He cares about business. There are only threats and promises that always seem to benefit just one person. Nebuchadnezzar. (laughs) And if I didn't know any better, reading the texts sure makes it seem as if Jeremiah was some kind of a diplomatic envoy sent by Yahweh to represent the interests of the Babylonians. Jeremiah passes messages from Yahweh, telling Zedekiah exactly what Zedekiah needs to do to stay alive. He tells him what is going on in Babylonia and Egypt. And he tells him what the Babylonians will do to him if he does not comply with the demands of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Ah, Yahweh is a big fan of Nebuchadnezzar, according to Jeremiah. Nebuchadnezzar is Yahweh's servant. But let's not put words in Yahweh's mouth, because it's supposed to go the other way around. Let's let Yahweh speak for himself through Jeremiah's mouth. So who is Jeremiah's Yahweh rooting for? Is he looking out for the best interests of the Hebrews? Let's read. This is from Jeremiah chapter 27. And this is a message from Yahweh to all the regional kings, the small kings, the Judean king included, as they have received envoys from Babylonia telling them they have to pay up. They have to accept the Babylonian yoke. 
So what does Yahweh have to say about that? This word came to Jeremiah from Yahweh. Thus Yahweh said to me, Make yourself straps and yoke bars and put them on your neck. Send word to the kings of Edom, Moab, Ammon, Tyre, and Sidon by the hand of the envoys who have come to Jerusalem to Zedekiah king of Judah. So Yahweh is sending word to all the kings and he tells them, prepare to put yoke bars on your neck. Babylonian yokes, he's sending them yokes in the mail. It's like sending someone a horse's head and putting it in their bed. An offer you can't refuse. So these kings in these lands, they didn't sin or rebel against Yahweh. No, no. They are refusing to pay annual tribute to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And thus, he wages war against them. Why does that make Yahweh upset? Yahweh is upset here that the kings of Judah, Edom, Moab, Ammon, Tyre, and Sidon are not ponying up to Nebuchadnezzar. This is weird. Yahweh, you are being weird. So had Zedekiah paid up, Jerusalem would not have been destroyed. Sins or no sins, business Yahweh doesn't care about that. Let's keep reading from Yahweh's political statement for the original kings around the year 597 BCE. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, It is I who by my great power and my outstretched arm have made the earth with the men and animals that are on the earth, and I give it to whomever it seems right to me. Now I have given all these lands to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I have given him also all the beasts of the field to serve him. All the nations shall serve him and his son and his grandson. But if any nation or kingdom will not serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and refuses to put its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, I will punish that nation with a sword, with famine, with pestilence, declares Yahweh. Okay, okay, okay. I know that gods work in mysterious ways, but Yahweh's passion here for the interests of Nebuchadnezzar does raise the question whether Nebuchadnezzar is Yahweh's servant or the other way around. Because according to Jeremiah, Yahweh is really, really pro-Babylonian. He wants all the kingdoms of the region to pay tribute to Nebuchadnezzar. And so this has nothing to do with sin, with wickedness, with worshipping other gods. No, this is business, Yahweh. This is just a threat. If you don't put your neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, I will destroy your lands with the sword and pestilence and famine. That's the threat. Now comes the promise. Any nation that will bring its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I will live on its own land to work it and dwell there, declares Yahweh. Declares Yahweh, 
This sure sounds like declares Nebuchadnezzar. This is the exact message the Babylonians tell the Hebrews. If you serve the king of Babylon, you will be able to stay on your land, work it and dwell there, declares Nebuchadnezzar. And accepting the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, might sound to us existential, but it's actually about money. Accepting the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar means every year you send him money, tribute, taxes. So Yahweh here is identical to Nebuchadnezzar, who would go on to become the Hebrews' worst enemy, their worst nightmare. So Yahweh's initial offer to Zedekiah, submit, pay taxes, and stay king, that was off the table once the Babylonians came the deal gradually became worse. So Yahweh sent Jeremiah again to pass along this message to Zedekiah. Give yourself up to the Babylonians and live, or keep holding out and you and your family will die. You will not escape us. Uh, them, them, declares Yahweh. <laughs> okay, I have to read you this last one because it's absolutely unbelievable it's unbelievable so let's do a little exercise instead of reading it as a message from Yahweh where Nebuchadnezzar is referred to in the third person I read it in the first person as if it's a message delivered by Nebuchadnezzar by the Babylonians through Jeremiah and thus the threat <laughs> will be more visceral okay Thus says Nebuchadnezzar, Behold, Yahweh your God has given me, the king of Babylon, this city, and I shall burn it with fire. That's a threat to all the Jerusalemites. Now comes a threat directly to you, King Zedekiah. You shall not escape from my hand, but shall surely be captured and delivered into my hand. You shall look at me with your own eyes and stand face to face with me. And I will take you captive to Babylon. This was the message Jeremiah hand-delivered Zedekiah from Yahweh. Okay, Yahweh says, Zedekiah, you will look eye to eye with the king of Babylon. You will see him face to face. This will happen to you, declares Yahweh. But if you do surrender yourself, <laughs> in this case, let me read. And again, we're reading it as a message from Nebuchadnezzar because it makes more sense this way. Hear the word of the king of Babylon, O Zedekiah, king of Judah. Thus says Nebuchadnezzar, you shall not die by the sword. You shall die in peace. And as spices were burned for your fathers, the former kings who were before you. So people shall burn spices for you and lament for you, saying, Alas, Lord. This is in contrast of the threats to the kings, Judean kings, that nobody will grieve and lament them. That was important for them. And here Nebuchadnezzar Yahweh tells him, If you do surrender yourself, you will die of old age, and you will be grieved and lamented. And look how happy Yahweh is when he's talking about Zedekiah surrendering to the Babylonians. Ooh, so happy. 
This is all about Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, there's a perfect example. When the Hebrews were excited because they received reports that the Egyptians sent an army to relieve the Babylonian siege over Jerusalem, Jeremiah passed along a message to Zedekiah that he had more up-to-date intelligence about the exact movements of the Egyptians and that they already turned back to Egypt and that Jerusalem stood alone and that all hope was lost, says Yahweh. And I swear to you, he is gloating, gloating. He's so happy that the Egyptians are not coming over to save Jerusalem. So who passed along these messages to Jeremiah? Who? Yahweh seems copy-pasted off of Nebuchadnezzar. This is all deeply suspicious. <laughs> and it explains why a short while later, Jeremiah would be arrested for treason. So Jerusalem is under siege. There's famine and disease in the city, and many Jerusalemites are crossing over to the Babylonian side, giving themselves up to save their lives. And it just so happened that Jeremiah as well tried to leave the city and head over to the Babylonian side. He said he had a very good reason for that, and we'll get into that in a future episode. But what's important here is that he is arrested. The Judean king does not allow the Jerusalemites to give themselves up to the Babylonians because his life depends on the city holding out longer than the Babylonian siege. Leaving a city under siege is illegal. And so Jeremiah is arrested. And the Judean ministers are enraged with him. But he manages to get a meeting with Zedekiah and is released from prison. And what does he do next? He goes to the Jerusalem walls, where the guards are, and he tells the guards, you should surrender yourself to the Babylonians, do not fight, go over now to the Babylonian side, declares Yahweh. You will live if you go to the Babylonian side, but if you fight and protect the city, you will die, declares Yahweh. So Jeremiah says that, and he's obviously arrested again for treason. Because think about it, Someone is going around encouraging the soldiers who are guarding you to go over to the Babylonian side and not do anything to protect you even. Wow, 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 wow. If I were in a city under siege and I would see that, I would be very upset. So here is the charge that is leveled against Jeremiah after he's arrested for encouraging soldiers to give themselves up. This man is not working for the good of the people but for their harm. And they sentence him to death. They claim that he is working against Jerusalem. Who would he be working for then? The enemy. The Babylonians. The very same Babylonians who later freed Jeremiah and paid him. So it all sounds very, very suspicious. But it also brings us closer to our story for today because now we're understanding the context in which the story was written, the Sodom story. The conversation between a righteous man and Yahweh, where the righteous man does all he can to save 
a city, an evil city from destruction. He doesn't undermine it, no. He tries to save it. So now we have the context, the specific context for our story for today. And the context is the many suspicions regarding Jeremiah and his role in the sacking of Jerusalem. But before we get to the story, let's talk about the format of the story. It's a dialogue between Yahweh and Abraham. A dialogue. Jeremiah himself had many dialogues with Yahweh. And for some of them, Baruch was there, present, writing everything down. That's how they say they did it. So whether you believe that Yahweh actually spoke through Jeremiah's mouth, when he spoke the words of Yahweh, he must have used a Yahweh voice. He wasn't speaking with his regular voice, right? He said, And Yahweh said, Ba 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 Everybody will die. He had to do a voice. And when he was conducting dialogues with Yahweh, he must have used two different voices for himself and for Yahweh. A dialogue. So I looked for conversations between Jeremiah and Yahweh that would mirror our story for today, and I think I might have found it. Jeremiah tells Yahweh how amazing he is and how good he's been to the Hebrews, and he admits to the Hebrews' wrongdoings, but also asks if collective punishment is the way to go. Is it just? That's Jeremiah's question to Yahweh here, and that will be Abraham's question in our story for today. Which is why I think that the dialogue in our story for today and this dialogue belong together. They complete each other. And this is Jeremiah like you've never heard him before because he's super, super happy. He's elated. As the city is under siege, what made him so happy? We'll get into more details in future episodes, but he was just able to buy some land. Lucky him. So he's extremely happy. And suddenly his Yahweh is happy and generous and loving. Okay. This is from Jeremiah chapter 32. After I have given the deed of purchase to Baruch the son of Neriah, I pray to Yahweh saying, Ah, Yahweh God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. You show steadfast love to thousands. Uh, Really, Jeremiah? I mean, we've read your prophecies, okay? Your Yahweh always promises to kill everybody. So you show steadfast love to thousands, but you repay the guilt of fathers to their children after them. Should the children pay for the sins of the fathers, is what Jeremiah asks. Should the people pay for the sins of the leaders? Jeremiah is asking Yahweh. Shouldn't each person be judged according to their own merits? So no to collective punishment. And then Jeremiah lists Yahweh's many great achievements. Then he says, But they did not obey your voice or walk in your law. They did nothing of all you commanded them to do. Therefore you have made all this disaster come upon them. Upon them. He doesn't think that the disaster, the sacking of Jerusalem, will fall upon him. No, no, it's a disaster upon them. He'll be fine. 
And what is left unsaid here is, Yahweh, sure, they sinned. Not all of them sinned. You are so just and righteous. Maybe help them out one more time. Maybe. So he tried. He tried. This is Jeremiah trying. What does Yahweh say? Does Yahweh agree to Jeremiah's pleading? In the historical account, this is what Yahweh says. And Bakala, because this is not business Yahweh. This is angry Yahweh. The Yahweh that talks to the people. Angry, vengeful Yahweh, who now cares about the people worshipping other gods. This is important to this Yahweh. And for both Yahweh, what's most important is that everything belongs to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Behold, I am giving this city into the hands of the Babylonians and into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall capture it. And the Babylonians who are fighting against the city shall come and set this city on fire and burn it with the houses on whose roofs offerings had been made to Baal and drink offerings have been poured to other gods to provoke me to anger. For the children of Israel and the children of Judah had done nothing but evil in my sight from their youth. As you saw, Jeremiah tried. Jeremiah carefully broached the topic of the fate of Jerusalem by telling Yahweh how amazing and just he is, and that he should consider if all the Hebrews are to blame for the general Hebrew wickedness, and if maybe killing everyone is unjust. Just saying, just saying. And Yahweh replies, it is most definitely just to destroy this city, because it has been a city full of sin since time immemorial. When Yahweh says that Jerusalem has been evil from its youth, he means it was evil since ancient times. Which brings us to our story for today. A story about an ancient city from the distant past that was so full of sin that the gods had to destroy it. Its name would live in infamy. Sodom. Let me read, and this starts with an internal Yahweh monologue. Yahweh is thinking slash talking to himself. Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their sin so grievous, that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The sins of Sodom are just as vague as the sins of Jerusalem, according to Yahweh, just everybody's evil. Yahweh in our story for today is definitely not business Yahweh. He's angry Yahweh through and through. And by the way, when at the beginning Yahweh says, should I hide this from Abraham? In Hebrew it's beautiful. Do I cover from Abraham? Hide, cover. This is the only time in the Bible it's used this way. So basically Yahweh here feels guilty about not sharing his plan with his chosen righteous man. 
and he wants to be sure that everybody is evil before he tells Abraham, and then they have this conversation. This is the heart of the story. This is the story. Let me first read it in Hebrew and listen to the music of this conversation. The words are not what's important here. The message is in the energy of this conversation. And I'll tell you what they're talking about. Abraham is trying to convince Yahweh to reconsider. He tells him maybe there are 50 righteous people there in Jerusalem. In Sodom. Uh-huh. Yahweh says, okay, for 50, I won't kill everybody. Then Abraham gets the number down to 40, and then 30, and 20, and 10. That's the conversation. So let me read. And I have to do the Yahweh voice. Ve'igash Avraham ve'yomer. Ha'af tispe tzadikim rasha? Ula yesh 50 tzadikim betoch ha'ir. Ha'af tispe ve'lo tisa la'makom le'man 50 tzadikim asher bekirba? חלילה לך מעשות כדבר הזה להעמיד צדיק עם רשע, והיה כצדיק כרשע חלילה לך, שופט כל הארץ. השופט כל הארץ לא יעשה משפט? ויאמר יהוה, אם אמצא בסדום חמישים צדיקים בתוך העיר, ונסעתי לכל המקום בעבורם. ויען אברהם ויאמר, הננה הועלתי לדבר אל אדוני ואנוכי עפר ואפר. אולי יחסרון חמישים הצדיקים חמישה? התשחית בחמישה את כל העיר? ויאמר, לא אשחית אם אמצא שם ארבעים וחמישה. ויסף עוד לדבר אליו ויאמר, אולי ימצאו שם ארבעים? ויאמר, לא אעשה בעבור ארבעים. ויאמר, אל דאיחר לאדוני ואדברה, אולי ימצאו שם שלושים? ויאמר, לא אעשה אם ימצא שם שלושים. ויאמר, הנה נא הועלתי לדבר אל אדוני, אולי ימצאו שם עשרים? ויאמר, לא אשחית בעבור העשרים. It's kind of funny. So there's another round to get the number from 20 to 10, but I think you get the gist of it. So now let's read the story in English, knowing what the context is, knowing that Abraham is Jeremiah. And this is Jeremiah's version of events, which we can sum up as, I tried, I really tried. Let's read. Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Who is the topmost judge in the world according to Jeremiah's community? Yahweh. We talked about how Yahweh is a God judge. And here we're told point blank, Yahweh is the judge of all the earth. So there you have it, spelled out. The stories of Genesis were written for the judge's community. And for this judge's community, Yahweh was a God judge. And the city is put on trial. Yahweh said, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to my Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, 
What if the number of the righteous people is five less than fifty? Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five people? If I find forty-five there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again he spoke to him. What if only forty are found there? He said, for the sake of forty I will not destroy it. So I think the reason that it says here, he said, he said, he said, is because these two voices are coming out from the same mouth. The mouth of Jeremiah. Jeremiah has to speak in two different voices. When you read it aloud in two voices, this is like the conversation Gollum had with himself in Lord of the Rings. Let's continue. Then he said, May my lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only thirty can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And now Abraham said, Now that I have been so bold as to speak to my lord, what if only twenty can be found there? He said, For the sake of twenty I will not destroy it. And now the last one. Then he said, May the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only ten can be found there? He answered, For the sake of ten I will not destroy it. When Yahweh had finished speaking with Abraham, he left. Vayelech, he walked away. And Abraham returned to his place. Shavlemekomo, translated mistakenly as went home. No, he went back to his place. Know your place, Abraham. There's a double meaning here. So I think what is most obvious in this conversation is that he tried, he really, really tried. He said 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. Obviously, he tried. <laughs> Other than that, I don't know what you can get out of this story. Other than he really, really tried. This is a story about a righteous man really, really trying to change Yahweh's mind to not destroy the evil city. But there were just not enough righteous people in the city. It's not his fault. It's their fault. Were you convinced? Did this part of the Sodom story fulfill its mission and sway you, the listener? What do you make of Jeremiah? He was so erratic in so many ways, but he was very consistent in other things. The messages he received from Yahweh to pass on to the people were always that every single person in the city was evil, from man to woman, from young to old. And everyone there deserved to die a horrible death. And their city should become a desolation. There is not one righteous person in Jerusalem. Present company excluded, of course. Of course. Jeremiah was the one righteous man in Jerusalem. Or, as the Hebrew saying goes, the one righteous man in Sodom. The one righteous man in a place full of evil, corruption and decay. That's Jeremiah's version, and he's sticking to it. Are we swayed? Let's tally up the suspicions and the exonerating items 
and placed them on scales to determine whether Jeremiah was guilty or innocent. A righteous man, Yahweh's servant, or a collaborator with the enemy? Let's start with the exonerating stuff. Okay, this is easy. This is Jeremiah we're talking about. Come on, Jeremiah the prophet. So already on its face, it's ridiculous that Jeremiah would be working with the Babylonians. Come on, come on. Okay, so that's one. Another reason to exonerate Jeremiah is that no scholar ever said anything close to what we're talking about here. And who are we to determine that the Babylonians pay Jeremiah for work and not out of the kindness of their heart after killing thousands and burning the city to the ground? Why should we even broach this topic? This is blasphemy. And there is an even better reason not to broach this topic ever, ever again. Because what does it mean, what does it say about human culture and history that the prophet known as the person who Yahweh spoke from his mouth was actually relaying messages from King Nebuchadnezzar 2,500 years ago? Whoa, 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 whoa. How can we unpack that, that the archetype that we have of the angry, vengeful God is actually Babylonian propaganda, a psyop where they just ascribed it to Yahweh to confuse the Hebrews? Whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, this is too much. Not guilty. We don't care that he got paid. They just respected him. That's it. That's why they paid him. And the general take from what I gather about the Babylonians freeing and paying Jeremiah is that they did it because he had a reputation for being pro-Babylonian and they wanted to reward him. And they even knew precisely what Jeremiah was prophesizing about because the top Babylonian official who freed Jeremiah, he quoted his prophecies back to him. He tells him, Yahweh brought this disaster upon the city because you people sinned against Yahweh, and here the disaster has come. So the Babylonians knew Jeremiah's prophecies through and through. Why? How? How would they have so much information about Jeremiah? How did they know what he looked like? Did they have any information about what was going on in Jerusalem? Did they have spies, agents? That's preposterous. So because of these episodes, I had to look into what we know about ancient espionage and apparently covert wars, spies and ancient networks working to destabilize cities in conflict to weaken them to the point of breaking by setting local political factions against each other and spreading fear and misinformation to make the final war easier and the victory complete. Apparently, that had been a staple of Mesopotamian geopolitics since about 3000 BCE. 3000. Apparently, all these Sumerian cities, and then Akkadian and Assyrian and Babylonian empires, relied heavily on networks of spies and agents everywhere. Part of their job was to push psychological campaigns, psyops, to weaken their foes from within. Apparently, I have learned, everybody did it in the ancient world. 
and it's also all neatly laid out in the famous ancient Chinese book, The Art of War by Sun Tzu. Everybody did that, just as they do today. The technology changed, that's it. Today you spread misinformation digitally through agitators, and back then you did it in person through agitators. And it's not as if people walked around with their identity cards. They just had to be there, have a place, and speak Hebrew. And we know that the Assyrians a hundred years before that had officials who spoke perfect Hebrew. So that wasn't an obstacle to have someone in Jerusalem who speaks Hebrew. And the Babylonians were intimately involved in Judean politics, internal Judean politics, because the faction of the judges, they were pro-Babylonians. They were in touch with Babylonia. This is documented in the Bible. Baruch's brother even went to Babylonia on a diplomatic mission. And the Babylonians were the ones who appointed this Zedekiah as Judean king in the first place. He only later switched sides. So we should assume that the Babylonians had spies and agents in Jerusalem. And the question is not whether the Babylonians were undermining Jerusalem from within, but whether Jeremiah was involved in this effort. And it must be said that many of these sorts of agents and collaborators, then like now, do not know or do not want to know who they're actually working for. Many are being manipulated, seduced, blackmailed, or bribed. When done well, every player maintains a level of plausible deniability. But if this wasn't the Bible we were talking about, and this wasn't about a person named Jeremiah, or a city called Jerusalem, a god called Yahweh, and all that jazz, if we just looked impartially at these historical accounts, without any biases or preconceptions, our conclusions would be pretty clear-cut, I think. I think it would be hard to exonerate Jeremiah if he weren't Jeremiah. Who? Our Jeremiah? Working for the Babylonians? Come on. Just because he burst onto the scene with pro-King Nebuchadnezzar messages right when Nebuchadnezzar became king? Right when he started planning his attack on Jerusalem? Just because Jeremiah repeated Babylonian propaganda and consistently stoked fear in the city and promoted despair? Just because he tried to leave the city and head over to the Babylonian side right before Jerusalem was destroyed? And just because he called for soldiers to surrender themselves without a fight? And just because he passed messages with explicit demands copy-pasted off of Nebuchadnezzar? And just because the Babylonians freed him later and paid him? Come on, is this all you got? <laughs> Actually, <laughs> we will have more in the coming episodes. In any case, Jeremiah says that these were the words of Yahweh. We can believe him or not, but he was clearly guilty in the eyes of many, and he was clearly working hard to clear his name. He does that in the historical accounts, and he does it in the stories of Genesis, written by Baruch. We'll see it again that Jeremiah uses some of these Genesis stories to clear his name. He was the one righteous man who Yahweh told he was going to destroy the city because of its wickedness. And he tried. He tried. 
This is Jeremiah's version, and he's sticking to it. Okay, so it might seem that this episode contained loads of information, but that is actually not the case. This is actually all very straightforward. Jeremiah behaved extremely suspiciously in the years leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. Him and his Yahweh were always, always aligned with the Babylonians. And suddenly he found himself with some money and land. We'll talk about that in another episode. And then after Jerusalem was destroyed, he was set free personally by the Babylonians and he was paid directly by them. The same Babylonians who had just killed thousands of his people. To the Hebrews, Jeremiah said that disaster was coming because of their wickedness. And to the king, Jeremiah said that disaster was coming because he was refusing to pay Nebuchadnezzar. So angry Yahweh for the people, business Yahweh for the king. To the people, you will all die, scum. But to the king, Yahweh says, if you only accept the Babylonian yoke, O Zedekiah, you will live long and prosper, declares business Yahweh. Angry Yahweh for the people, business Yahweh for the king. And both Yahwehs only speak through the mouth of someone who was on the Babylonian payroll. So it might seem to us far-fetched that the ancient Babylonians were somehow able to mount a covert operation inside Jerusalem to undermine it from within. But Mesopotamians have been doing just that for thousands of years. I learned that it's very well documented. And Nebuchadnezzar doing the same in Jerusalem would just be par for the course. Nothing new under the sun nothing that had to be invented or conceptualized. The same basic tenets of intelligence of espionage that we have today, we also had in ancient times, just without the technology. And we know that countries always try to undermine their enemies from within, from without, from above, from the ground. So Nebuchadnezzar was doing to Jerusalem what the Assyrians, Akkadians, and Sumerians did before him and later empires would do after him. This is extremely straightforward. Nebuchadnezzar wanted the Judean king to pay him money without having to bring the Babylonian army over to destroy the city. Now that costs money and soldiers' lives. So it's better to get him to pay by exerting political and social pressure on Zedekiah to try to avoid war and get the money in peaceful terms. But once that didn't work, the same political and social pressure on Jerusalem was now designed to bring it to its breaking point and make the final battle easy. How many soldiers do you think preferred to live and went over to the Babylonian side? From the historical accounts, it doesn't seem that the final battle was even a battle. It was a massacre. So this is extremely straightforward. But what is extremely far-fetched is that Jeremiah actually heard the voice of Yahweh. And Yahweh was actually fiercely pro-Babylonian. 
for divine reasons, and he actually worried about the quantity of gold in the Babylonian coffers, and that it was actually Yahweh who provided a more up-to-date intelligence information to Jeremiah to pass on to the king. How did Jeremiah know the Egyptian troops who were coming to help them had turned back? Someone told him. It was either Yahweh or the Babylonians. If I had to choose which was more plausible, Jeremiah actually having conversations with Babylonian agents in the city, or Jeremiah actually having conversations with Yahweh, I would choose the former. Throughout history, there have literally been millions of people who worked with foreign agents against their own countries or cities. But we have yet to see any proof that any person ever spoke to Yahweh. So I'm going with Jeremiah being used by the Babylonians to undermine Jerusalem from within. But to Jeremiah's credit, he did try really hard to stop the destruction by trying really hard to convince the Judean king to change his mind. But the king would not be swayed. And so disaster came. But it wasn't Jeremiah's fault. No, he tried. He really tried. <laughs> he didn't really try to change Yahweh's mind, but he tried his mightiest to change Zedekiah's mind. And he wanted everyone to know that he tried. So he had his scribe Baruch to write a story about it, which is our story for today. A story about Abraham really, really trying to save an evil city. But alas, to no avail. Did the Hebrews believe Jeremiah that he tried to save the city? Did they believe that Yahweh actually spoke through his mouth? That's a difficult question to answer, because sometimes they believe him and sometimes not. Even once when he claimed Yahweh sent a message that if they go to Egypt after the destruction, then they will all die a terrible death, they called him a liar. And they moved down to Egypt anyway, and they lived long and prosper. So did they believe him? I think they believed him, and also not really believed him, at the same time. And for me, that might be the reason that Abraham, Jeremiah as Abraham in our story for today, tries so hard to convince Yahweh that it borders on the ridiculous. 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. Ugh. So it's either Jeremiah trying too hard, giving the game away, that he feels so guilty, or it could be a subtle jab by Baruch towards Jeremiah, making him look ridiculous. Because that is kind of consistent in Genesis, but that might also be a cultural thing that gets lost <laughs> in the 2,500 years between them and us. So I'll let you make up your own mind if you think this was written as too over the top or just the right amount because it certainly didn't seem over the top to the Hebrews who lived through what happened 49 years after the destruction of Jerusalem. Jeremiah was long dead when the Hebrews were freed from their captivity in Babylonia and were allowed to return. 
And at that time, the Hebrews concluded, beyond any reasonable doubt, that Jeremiah was the only person who spoke the words of Yahweh. Yahweh spoke through the mouth of one man, just one, they said. Jeremiah. And let's imagine the scene of Jeremiah spewing the words of Yahweh in front of the temple, telling everybody, oh, telling everybody about all the unspeakable things that the Babylonians would do to them. Ha ha ha, because of Yahweh. Ha ha. He must have put on an amazing show. And he must have had an amazing Yahweh voice. I would pay a lot of money to see Jeremiah in one of those speeches. And then I will immediately (laughs) cross over to the Babylonian side. Okay, so one last thing about our story for today. When Yahweh asks himself, oh, should I hide from Abraham my plan? It literally says, should I cover from Abraham? Hamechaseani from Abraham? I mentioned that it's unique in the Bible in this specific use. But it's not unique in the Bible. Mechase, michse means cover. And we met this word in the previous episode about the flood tale. And the flood tale and our story for today are both about the destruction of Jerusalem and are both from Jeremiah's perspective. I mentioned that when Yahweh closes the cover of the ark, the michse of the ark, the sentence is placed in a very unharmonious way within what comes before it and after it, that it stands out. And I asked, why? Why? Was this important? Okay. So here we have another mechseh that stands out, mechaseh. So let's just keep that in mind, because it is recurring. Yahweh shut the cover after him. Now Yahweh is covering something from Abraham. Hmm. Let's just keep that in mind, because it might prove to be important later on. There might be a payoff. And as to the whole, what does this mean in the grand scheme of things of human history and human culture, that the text that we have in the book of Jeremiah of Yahweh threatening the Hebrews and the king, what does it mean if these are actually messages from Nebuchadnezzar? What we do on this podcast is we immerse ourselves in the ancient world through ancient texts. We just go wherever the texts take us. And this is where we got. What happens after that is outside the purview of this podcast. But Jeremiah looks very guilty, even though we should not give our verdicts just yet, because we have a couple of more episodes with Genesis stories about the destruction of Jerusalem, and specifically Jeremiah's role in it. In the next episode, we will talk about the destruction of Sodom. That's coming in two weeks. But next week, I'll be reposting the original episode we did back in the day about the destruction of Sodom, episode 15. This is a throwback from three years ago, where we didn't know anything about the context in which the story was written, and we just went by how the story appears in the Bible as a story. And let me sum up what we said (laughs) in this episode. Three years ago, we said that the story of Sodom reads like a covert operation where Yahweh sends a commando team to extract the one righteous man in Sodom right before the city is destroyed by Yahweh. (laughs) 
I'll post the episode next week. We talk about how this commando team aroused suspicion in the city. And the mob gathered outside the righteous man's house and demanded to know who are the righteous man's suspicious foreign visitors. Mm. And then there's a whole Black Hawk Down extraction operation going on under fire. That's the story of Sodom, okay? And if we read the story of Sodom with Jerusalem in mind, and maybe with Jeremiah cast, in this case, as Lot, that's the character who is getting extracted. If we read it this way, why, 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 why? <laughs> Unbelievable. So next week, I'm reposting episode 15, and in two weeks, I'm posting Revisiting Genesis episode 6, Sodom and Gomorrah part 2. Okay, so now let's switch gears. I mentioned in the previous episode that I wanted to keep doing online courses, and I found the perfect topic for the next one. We're gonna dive into six biblical comedies. Nice, short, and very funny biblical stories. We haven't talked about any of these stories on the podcast or their context, so everything will be fresh and new and funny. I can't tell you what stories we'll be going over. If you sign up, you won't know until you're in the meeting. What I can say is that they're from the books of Samuel. Just have to find them and read them the right way to see the pure comedy in them. Or you can go to patreon.com slash biblicalproportions slash shop and sign up for the course. I promise you loads of laughs and loads of fun just by reading the Bible. Isn't that weird? So six divine comedies in this new course. It will be three meetings with two stories each meeting. And before every meeting, I'll send you a very short reading list from the Bible so you can get the jokes by yourself when they come around in the story. So it's on patreon.com slash biblicalproportions slash shop. You don't have to become a member to join the course, but there is a 30% discount for members on courses. So yeah, there's also a link to the course page in the episode description. So that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you to the members for supporting this podcast. Toda. And I'll see you in two weeks for an ancient version of Black Hawk Down. Until then, I'm Gil Kidron. Peace.